Welcome to the Highway Church Podcast. We're excited that you would join us today and hope you're encouraged by the message you hear. If you'd like to know more, visit our website, highway.com.au. I've got to get straight into this this morning because trusting the Holy Spirit today like every day, but today I want to talk to you about after Sunday, because as you know, we've just celebrated Easter, Good Friday, Resurrection Sunday, we were in the room, it was a filled room where we celebrated and worshipped and remembered all that the Lord has done. Good Friday, you know, they nailed Jesus to the cross, he was placed into that tomb and the critics that were against him all of those that judged him and criticised him, as far as the critics were concerned, that was the end of Jesus. He wasn't going to cause them any more problems. And then Sunday came the day of all days. Sunday came and praise God, and we are so grateful that Resurrection Sunday came because we are here today because of all of that. Jesus was not in the tomb, that we know. He was risen from the dead And Friday did happen, Saturday did happen, Sunday certainly happened, and these three powerful days that have changed our lives forevermore, have changed our entire world forevermore, and it shook the world and it continues to do so. Even though Easter weekend came and it went, what Jesus did continues to change our world and continues to change our lives But what about after Resurrection Sunday? What does life look like after the resurrection? And that's where I want to go today. Because I don't want us to be a church that celebrates these religious milestones, that celebrates Christmas, that celebrates, you know, Easter weekend, and it's come and it's gone and it's forgotten. But I want us to be a, a, a church that remembers what it is to live in resurrection life. Jesus showed up even after the resurrection and he appeared to many of them and I want to take a look this morning at one of those occasions and it's found in the Gospel of John 21 because we know that Jesus appeared to them on the Sea of Tiberias. The disciples were returning from a night of unsuccessful fishing And I guess we could all say we've all had unsuccessful times. We've had unsuccessful days, months, years, or seasons. But it's after the resurrection that Jesus is found on the shore. And he calls out to them and he asks them this question, have you caught any fish? And the answer we know uh, was a no. And Jesus tells them what to do. And he tells them to throw their net out on the right-hand side of the boat, which is what they did. And this is what happens. And I want to read this account to you this morning because I want us to start to stir up our faith about what life is like after Sunday, what life is like after Resurrection Sunday. Gospel of John 21, 6 through to 11, he says, "'Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some.'" And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. 
And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far away from the shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore, for it was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. We know that this was the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And you and I, church, in 2023, we are now living on the other side of Resurrection Sunday. We are living in a time right now after Easter, and it was after this Easter period that Jesus tells the disciples what to do. And verse 6 is a very important verse to us today. And Jesus tells them to throw their net out of the boat. The net will do nothing if it is laying in the bottom of a boat. A net catches nothing at the bottom of the boat other than dust and dampness and mold. Our faith, our expectation, our obedience will do nothing at all if it is lying at the bottom of a boat, at the bottom of your story. And Simon Peter drags this net ashore and it was filled, like filled. We're not talking half. We're not talking a little. We're talking filled and it was 153 and the net was not torn. Why did it say that there was a large, that there were large fish in this net? Why doesn't the Bible tell us that there was just fish in the net? And as I began to wait upon God with this account here, that there was a large number of fish and they were large in size, could it be that God is preparing his church for the big? Could it be that God is beginning to awaken and stir our faith, our hope, our expectation, even our conviction, even our belief for a big thing that he is about to do? And my question is in 2023, where is our net today? This message challenges me because I too can get caught up with the big religious holidays and what a celebration it was last Sunday. But the big question for me is, where is my net today? Where is my net of hope, my net of faith today? What am I doing with the net in my life today? And I don't want it to gather dust and mold at the bottom of my story, at the bottom of my situation, and I don't want to miss the time. I don't want to miss the hour. I don't want to miss the day. We know that Jesus appeared many times after his resurrection. Thomas, doubting Thomas, the one who struggled with unbelief. Jesus appears to Thomas. We know that Mary Magdalene, just to mention a few, and of course these disciples, was another occasion where Jesus appeared to them. The book of Revelation, well known probably to all of us here today, Revelation 3.20 says, I, here I am. Gee, that, that word right there just grabs me, here I am. I stand at the door and I knock and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person 
and they with me. There's eight things out of Revelation 3.20 that I wrote down for myself. I hope it means and does something for you to do. Number one, Jesus is here right now. Here I am. It's not a far off. It's not he's distant. It's not that one day, someday, maybe. He says, here I am right now. Where is he? I'm at the door. I'm literally at the door right now. This is not a someday message. This is a right now kind of message. I'm at the door. What is he doing? He is knocking at the door. And the question back to us is, do we hear that? Do we hear the knock at the door, do we hear his voice? He says, I'm knocking at the door and his voice is on the other side of that door. Number five is a question back to us, will we open that door? What will we do with this time, this moment, this place that we're in right now? Will we open up the door? And he says, if you will open up the door, number six, he says, I will come in. He will come Number seven is, when I come through that door, I'm going to eat, I'm going to commune, and I'll speak with you. I'll be among you. I'll begin to declare things to you. I'll begin to show you great and mighty things. I'll begin to open up your understanding of what I'm getting you ready for, where we're going together, what I've got in place for, your, for the church, what God wants to do in our time, our moment, our stage of life right now. And number eight, he says, and we will commune with each other. Revelation 3.20 speaks to us about that, but right now, he is at the door. Here I am. As you know, we've been talking out of Ezekiel 47, and I, I keep reading this scripture because one, God told us to do. He's standing at the door of this word right now. And he's using this word to grab our attention, but in Ezekiel 47.9 and 10, it says swarms. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. I looked up the word swarm, hoping it was going to have some kind of meaning that none of us would even know what swarm means, and it means a large number. It means a large number. It's like there's this large number of living creatures will live where? Wherever the river flows. There will be a large number of fish because the water flows there, and it makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to Engelum, and there will be places for the spreading of nets. The fish will be of many kinds like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. There's a large thing about to happen. God is stirring his church for a big thing, for a big move of his spirit. And we know that the Lord himself is knocking at the door of our church here at Highway. He's been doing that for some time. We've heard his voice. We're endeavoring to be as obedient as we possibly can to walk that word out. But the question back to you and I today is where is our net? Will we open up the door of our lives and at your word I will respond, at your word I will say yes, at your word I will sacrifice and at your word I will, will obey, at your word. Our world is filled with opinions, opinions everywhere. I've never known so many opinions on so many subjects of people who, know, who barely know what they're talking about. But here's what I've decided, the only opinion that really matters is the opinion of God. 
the opinion of the voice of God, the opinion of what God is saying right now, and will we respond to the voice of God? The Gospel of John was specific. Throw your net over the right-hand side of the boat. And Simon Peter did that, and the result was 153 large fish. You see, there's times and there's moments when the specific word of God comes. And he's so clear and specific about what he's saying. And if he says, throw that net over the right side, you don't throw it over the left. If he tells you to throw it over the right side, you don't throw it over the front, over the back, over whatever. You throw it specifically over the right-hand side of the boat. And as a result, they saw 153 fish. What does your 153 look like? I've got a little inkling about what mine is, but on the other side of your situation or your response or this invitation, on the other side of his word, your 153 could look like a better home. Your 153 could look like a business that God wants you to start. Your 153 could be a door that has been closed, but God wants to open for you. Your 153 could be the beginnings of a ministry or the start of something new or even the reclaiming of something that's been lost. What does your 153 look like? I think I know what mine could be. When you look at that net filled with heavy fish, it must have been worth it. It was worth the effort. It was worth the strain. It was worth the time. It was worth the sacrifice. It was worth the cost of dragging that thing up the shore. It was certainly worth casting your net out on the right-hand side of the boat. It was worth the heavy lifting, the dragging up to the shore. It was worth even the unsuccessful night of fishing and when you drag that heavy net up the shore, the cost of it doesn't matter. I do it all over again. If you've been in a time that's felt dry and barren, empty and unsuccessful, I believe the word for us today is throw your net out of the boat again. Throw your net out of the boat again because God does not abandon us nor does he forsake us. And he's given you a word. You today are carrying a word in your spirit. And God says, pick up your net and throw it out the right-hand side of the boat. And again, you will move into what I have planned for you. In Ezekiel 47, it speaks about not just one net, but it's now starting to speak about nets, plural. And Ezekiel 47, as we read it, he says, you're going to spread your nets out which means an expansive and enlarged, a more spacious opportunity that is coming before you. And there's going to be not just one place, but many places for the spreading of the nets. As a church here, I believe that there are still places where the gospel needs to go. That there's places still where the net of our sphere of influence has not even reached yet. There are places where the net of the Word of God will go that we haven't even begun to even know what that looks like just yet. But I do know that there is a favour that comes in the day of His power. There is the favour of God, and without the favour of God, 
it's pretty, it's pretty unsuccessful. It's hard, hard going. But there is favor that comes in the day of his power and God is moving. There is no question about that. And if you have been in an unsuccessful time up to this point, then I believe it's time to throw your net out of the boat and let the favor, the provision and the grace and the increase of God come upon that which you are casting out. Even if everyone else in your boat thinks it's ridiculous. Even if everyone in your boat, else in your boat is a critic and they criticize you and they judge you and they think it's a waste of time and you've not heard the voice of the Lord, that opinion does not matter. You run with the opinion of God. You run with the voice of God. The atmosphere is changing. If your net has been empty, if your boat has been empty, if your situation has been unsuccessful, the atmosphere is changing and God is filling nets again. It's a scary thing sometimes following the word of the Lord. It is. It can be a time where you're apprehensive, where you're worried, where you become fearful. And will I be able to carry the weight of that which God has put into my hands? It's a real question, you know. And certainly 28 years, and Dan's going to tell you about our celebration tonight, celebrating as really the goodness of God and what the Lord has done. But tonight we're going to celebrate everything that God has done over 28 years. But I can look back and remember what it was like when the invitation first came. Will you throw your net out of the boat? Will you, will you do that? And when that pioneer call came, you know, what would it mean to us financially? Would we be able to still put food on our table? Would we still be able to pay our mortgage? What does that mean for us as a young family with a child of five, eight and 14 at the time? How do we juggle business and church and family all running together? Where will all of this lead? Will it work? And then you come to that moment. But nevertheless, you come to that moment of nevertheless, I will throw my net out of the boat if this is what you're asking me to do and the results are up to the Holy Spirit. What he requires of us is a response to his word. I remember those times. Byron's going to tell you a little bit about that tonight. We've got some footage on screen to show you. But here in the Gospel of John 21, Simon Peter drags this heavy net. And the thing that encouraged me was that the net was not torn or broken or damaged. You see, the call of God won't break you. The call of God won't damage you. The call of God will not cause your net to break. Disobedience and sin does. The net of disobedience and being outside of the will of God, it is a hard thing to drag around, to carry around. And I would rather drag the weight of God's promise, the weight of God's call, the weight of what God has told me to do than carry around and drag around the net of being outside of the will of God. We are people that live on the other side of the resurrection, but the resurrection life is flowing in us today. Resurrection life, victory ought to be upon our lips. I'm telling you right now, victory and praise ought to be upon your lips, in your praise, in your expectation. We are not a people that are downcast. 
Do we go through hard times? You bet we do. Do we go through times that it feels absolutely relentless and impossible? And if you're in that place right now, it's time to throw your net out of the boat. And nevertheless, God, I will respond to your word in this place and you are able to fill my net again. God is stirring us and reminding us who we are. Build a godly inheritance. How do I do that? You stay with it, for starters. You stay the course. You run your race. You stay with it. And you might say, you don't know what my boat looks like. My net is empty. There is brokenness all around me. Then it's time for us as faith people, as people of conviction and understanding and perspective, that I will nevertheless cast, pick up my net, and by faith I'll cast it out of the boat. You stay with it. Even when it's empty, we are change makers in our day. We're not in this alone. We're not just rah-rah people. We have the power of the Holy Spirit within us. On the day of Pentecost, when those believers stood together, the Holy Spirit came and filled them with power. We are on the other side of resurrection life, and resurrection life ought to be flowing in us. And if we're not, it's time to pick up our net and throw it out again. Learn to put down one net for starters, and then God, by his grace, will lead you into many nets, many places. If we will be faithful again, faithful again of the little, God will bring us into the much. Right now, you might be in a one-net season, but without a shadow of doubt, that one net, whatever that is to you, it might be surrendering your life to the Lord. We were giving our story to someone the other day, and it's so good to be reminded of our little one net was, you know our story, leaning down, kneeling down on a timber floor. Jesus, if you're real, here we are. Do something with our lives. It was kind of like a nothing prayer, and somehow God took it seriously. Somehow God, in our unpolished, unprofessional almost unscriptural way of praying. God hears the cry and the voice of the heart that wants to turn in his direction. And that was our one little net. Who would have known that one little net of experience of surrendering our lives to the Lord would one day lead to plural, casting your nets, spreading out nets in many places. And he's not finished yet. You could be in a one net time right now, Days of multiplication are upon us and Ezekiel speaks to us about that and the book of Acts speaks to us about times of addition when the Holy Spirit is moving. And church, I believe God is stirring our hearts for addition and for multiplication. You see, after the death on the cross, Jesus' body laid in the tomb and then Resurrection Sunday came. And we know that he appeared to many for 40 days following And the gospel spread. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and with power and the church grew. And we have not seen anything yet. Our eyes have not seen. Our ears have not heard everything that God has in store for his people. But I believe that our feet are starting to get wet. Our toes are starting to get wet. Our faith is starting to be activated Our expectation of what God has got us looking at is starting to happen. 
stirring in my heart today, I cannot even begin to communicate or do well. But if God filled nets before, he's able to fill nets again. If God was able to add and to multiply to his church, then he is able to do it again. If God ever healed a marriage, a marriage that was so finished, a marriage that was so damaged, it was carnage everywhere, then he is able to do it again. If God was able to heal someone who was, is sick or diseased or infirmed, if ever there was a story in the Bible of him doing it, if ever you've prayed for anyone or believed for someone to be healed, he's able to do it again. If ever he redeemed anybody, and he has because we're here today and those that are at home, or delivered someone, then he is able to do it all again. What does your 153 look like? I hope that, I hope the Lord is speaking to you in some way. The most dangerous place for the church to be is this, as I read it. The most dangerous place for us to be as believers is that we read these stories in the Bible as past history. We read about what Jesus did with the 153 fish. We read about him feeding the thousands. We read about the miracles. We read about, you know, the prostitute being saved, delivered, set free and spreading the gospel. We read about these stories and they've become history to us. But we've got no faith for today. That is our challenge as believers in this day. If we know Scripture by memory, but not by faith, then there is no fresh water flowing. It's become like a swamp. It's kind of familiar to us, but there's no faith to say, God, if you did it then, you can do it now. Listen, life flows where there's fresh water. And God is wanting to pour out fresh water upon His church and upon you today. Men and women, children, young people and old. Generational move of God's Spirit. My challenge at this age where I'm at is this, that I would finish larger, that I would finish stronger, that I would finish more faith-filled, that I would finish more enthusiastic, more expectant, more courageous, more single-minded and more responsive than when I started in the early 80s. That to me is fresh life and fresh water and my net is not sitting in the bottom of a boat getting mouldy and dusty. And this morning before I close off, I want to play a video clip for you and I'm doing this very intentionally because I want us to be a people that are grabbing a hold of resurrection life. And I know this clip is typically is something that would fit so well last weekend. It's Good Friday, it's Easter Sunday. Jesus went down to the pit of hell and made a public show of every demon and every principality, power and darkness. But I want to give you this video clip, which will take a few minutes and then we're going to give you an opportunity to respond. It's the clip of Joseph of Arimathea. 
Joseph, in case you don't know who he was, he wrapped Jesus' body with linen. And he poured the spices over Jesus' body and then he went to the tomb. But Joseph was one that soon discovered, like we have, and I pray like we continue to do, the power of a resurrected Saviour. Take a look at this clip if you would. My name is Joseph. I come from the Judean town of Arimathea. I was there on the night that the rabbi, the one named Jesus, was arrested and brought to trial. I'm a member of the Sanhedrin Council and I heard the full account. He arrived in our world with an uncommon entrance, born of a virgin, born in a manger. He was mostly a stranger to us until he was announced by John the Baptist, welcomed as the long-awaited Messiah now here, the one whom Moses and the prophets had been writing about for the last 4,000 years. He's not like other rabbis. He's made crippled men walk. He's made blind women see. He's made deaf children hear. He's made lepers clean. He has fed thousands of people on a hillside with only five loaves of bread and two fish. I don't understand this. But now I've heard the full account of this man named Jesus. He's been teaching in our temples. He's dined with vagabonds and sinners. A woman washed his feet with her tears and he had the audacity to forgive her. His deeds are as exceptional as his words. When our friend Lazarus had died, Jesus went to his grave, told him to come out and out. I've seen Lazarus myself. I've seen him alive. What is the charge against this man? Healing on the Sabbath? What sacred scripture? What law has he broken? Where is the evidence, the offense? Shall we crucify a man with no sin? So I dissented from the decision, as did my friend Nicodemus. But the Sanhedrin took him to Pilate anyway. They tortured him, and then they murdered him on a cross. My name is Joseph of Arimathea, and none of it seems right to me. So after he was dead, we took down the body and wrapped it in linens, myself and Nicodemus and some of the rabbi's disciples who were women. I refused to bury him like a criminal. He had no tomb, so I offered up my own. We took him to the garden, we put him in the cave, and we sealed it with a stone. And the entire time, I wondered and I feared the truth of everything this Jesus had claimed, that, that this was not just a man in a tomb, it was God in my grave. That was on a Friday. But then, Sunday, the word traveled to me quickly. Some of the women had gone to the garden and the Roman soldiers who had been sent to guard the grave were struck down. The stone was rolled away, the body was gone, and there was only one set of footprints on the ground. Then came the reports. Jesus meeting with Simon Peter. Jesus meeting with Mary Magdalene. Jesus meeting with the disciples and eating breakfast on the shore. Jesus meeting with two men on the road to Emmaus and then to his brother James and then to hundreds and hundreds more. Jesus was dead. I saw this fear, the water, the blood, but now he's living, breathing, speaking, eating, proving that he is who he said. 
said he was. I buried him myself, but now I've seen where he lay. There's nothing left. Jesus scorned the shame of the cross, and he has trampled over death. My name is Joseph of Arimathea, and this is the full account of what I've seen. Jesus died, was buried, and then he rose again. And now my grave is empty. Why don't we stand to our feet, church? Come on, why don't we stand to our feet across this place if you're at home? Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to get in contact with us or find out more about Highway Church, go to highway.com.au.